Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Valmet Forward Talks podcast series, where we discuss the big topics surrounding sustainability, climate change, and the future of the pulp and paper industry. My name is André Noël Chaker, and I have the pleasure of being your host. The topic of this episode is how can the making of pulp and paper become carbon neutral? The key questions are, when will carbon neutral pulp and paper production become a reality? What is the role of technology in reducing emissions in pulp and paper production? What kind of technologies will reduce the emissions of pulp and paper production even more in the future? Our podcast guests will soon talk to us about how they are working to make pulp and paper production carbon neutral. Stay tuned. Welcome to this fourth episode of Forward Talks from Vomit, the company that converts renewable resources into sustainable results. Here with us today, we have... Uh, the Vice President for Energy at Metsa, Pirita Mikkonen, and Valmet's Head of R&D, Janne Pyrnenen, to discuss this very important topic. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank nice you. to be here. Really nice to be here. It's great to have you both in the studio. And I'd like to start with a personal question related to sustainability. Um, I'd like to ask you, Pirita, what is the most impactful thing you do in your personal life to fight climate change? Well, I think one of the things that I do all the time, every day, is to live in my house. Okay. Since our house is, the logs that it's built of are at least 150 years old. Wow. It was moved to this place where it's now 100 years back. And it was like these children blocks that it was built with. So it's been storing the CO2 that long and it can still store it for 100 years more. I'm sure it can. Oh, wow. What a wonderful story. How about you, Janne? What did you do, for example, today that was climate friendly? Today, I actually adjusted my heating system as the electricity price has been so high. So I decreased the temperature at my house by one degree when I left here. Today, we'll discuss the role of technology in reducing carbon emissions in pulp and paper production. Now, before we go into that, I would like to discuss a bit about the drivers behind this development. What are the main forces driving genuine market demand for more sustainable pulp and paper products at the moment? Perhaps we could start with you, Parit. I think it's the consumers. It's been This trend has been going on for decades already, and you can really see the difference during the last 10 years. About um, 2010, uh, we were studying this issue, trying to find out how much consumers are ready to pay for sustainable products. What are their real choices when they do their purchases? Uh, and it was a huge study, not done by us, but we were following all kinds of studies. And we found that the consumers were ready. They said that they're ready to purchase things, but then the readiness to pay for for sustainable products was much smaller than what they said. But this has changed. Nowadays, people are going much further with this really uh, willingness of impacting and really paying also for the sustainability of the product. So they are the main changers of, of this field. And of course, then 
politics is, is another thing. But first, you need to have the people, everybody to believe in, in mm. this trend. So they're not only talking the talk, they are now finally walking the talk. Yes, and, and that's the main change that I've seen working yeah. on in this field for more than 20 years. Absolutely. Very interesting. Janne, from your perspective, biggest driver of this change? I very much agree with Pirita that uh, now finally it is the consumers who are actually driving the change. Of course, with that there has been also this legislation and other rules that have been developing. So now I think first time since the, let's say, decades when this whole wave started has been actually driven by multiple fronts. You know, climate change, because of all that you've said already, has been on the top of the agenda, the political agenda, the the industrial agenda. Uh, but for pulp and paper specifically, uh, what has been causing the most negative impact, if I can, if I can call it negative impact, in terms of emissions? So wh- where is the biggest challenge in the industry right now? Well, I would say that it's if you look globally, um, the pulp and paper industry is not carbon neutral. In some of the countries, there is still um, coal used as the power for the industry even though there would be wood-based or or biomass-based energy available. And then when you consider the overall, what are the machines? They are mainly for their drying machines from energy point of view. So the usage of water is is another thing that is really um, an, Mm. an issue here. Yeah, big issues. Janne, anything to add to that? Yeah, I would like to highlight that the situation is globally so different. So especially here in Europe and Nordic countries, we have a lot of biomass mm-hmm. that is helping a lot in this this context. But then in Asia, for example, there is not not that much energy sources available that would be really climate friendly. So then they have actually different solutions for the problem than, than what maybe people here in Europe have. Mm. And of course, like Pirita said, it's practically then the drying section or removal of water that consumes most of the energy. So, of course, the kind of a technology readiness or, or state of the technology that is used has huge influence as well. Here's a question for you both. And you know, Metsa and Valmet have both set targets for 20, 2030, you know, relating to energy efficiency and carbon neutrality of your processes. Uh, Can you elaborate a bit on these very ambitious targets and what is really needed to achieve them? Pirita. Well, METSA has set this bold goal to be uh, fossil-free by 2030. Mm. And energy-wise, we have uh, mills uh, mainly in Europe. And here, of course, in Nordic countries, we use biomass. But in Central Europe, uh, there is not that much available biomass. So to be carbon neutral in, in fuels, that's kind of straightforward and engineering work, and that can be done. Then there is also the raw materials that we would need to have uh, carbon-free. And and I think there will be a lot of development done, and, and that requires changes in the mills. We have oldest mills are from 1800s, so it's really like... All this needs to be uh, carbon f- carbon free or fossil free, um, and then of course um, there is the water usage and energy efficiency are the means uh, to get there, and a lot of work is done by our operators and and by our mill personnel. But then we also new, need new technology. There will be 
um, some of the uh, solutions that are not there yet, but needs to be developed. But we still have nine years. It's not that long. No, we, it's not that yeah. long. For, that's a big ambition. Goal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Janne. Yeah, we have set two different type of targets. The first one is, is kind of a reduce energy. So we target to have 20% less energy needed in our machinery by that 2030. So 20% improvement in energy efficiency. And then the other one is, is 100% of carbon neutrality which then in the first phase means that, that we try to make it possible for our customers to use bioenergy wherever possible so that our equipment would either use bioenergy-based energy or electricity. And then, of course, while we are heading towards 2030, we also look other opportunities to kind of balance the levels. Very ambitious stuff, but I'd like to, you know, to go a little bit deeper into the, the technology If you could tell us, what can we do today? Not nine years from now, but today, as opposed to the future. In terms of technology, what, what are the, the low-hanging tech fruits that are sort of easy to, to already implement technologically? And what are the longer-term R&D initiatives? And, and perhaps you could also tell us, you know, what's either driving or hindering the development of these longer-term R&D uh, efforts. Janne, Pirita. Yeah, I can, yeah, I can start from the kind of a low-hanging fruits part. Yeah. So I would say that the digitalization and this automation is definitely one. Mm. So we, we have been analyzing quite a lot of, of our customer meals, and it looks that there is up to 10% possibility to improve this energy efficiency, for example, by the means of, of digitally optimizing the production. This, of course, is not valid for everybody. Some have already done it, and then there is not that much possibilities, but there is still a large large kind of a customer base where, where it can actually prove very, very quick improvements. Then on the longer horizon, then when, when you are talking about big investments, then obviously it's not easy to invest in every meal with big time in a, in a one shot. So there I, I think the focus needs to be on, on especially on this uh, energy use in, in drying section. So heat recovery, for example, is one. Then we, of course, would like to minimize this water use, like Pirita was already mentioning. So, so less water means less energy needed to remove it. So that practically means then, then dryness or, or dry content when you are, are getting to that drying section. So A lot of machinery parts is currently under evaluation and under development to be further improved in this. So, so I think it will not only be one kind of a major leap, but a, a set of, of different actions to reach it. Thank you, Anne. I totally agree with Janne. I wouldn't say that there are that much low-hanging fruits anymore, at least at our our mills. We've we've been working on... They've been picked already. Yes, we've been working on... on energy efficiency, um, like 15 years, yes. uh, very systematically. Before that, of course, as well. And then when we look at the numbers, the years that there's been a decline in energy efficiency, there's always been some hassle at some of the major mills. Mm. So it mm. means that when you have good operation, solid operation, you produce design values, Uh, you don't have any problems with with the water usage, as, as Janne said, is one of the major things. So, and this can be, of course, uh, helped with with automation. 
So I think when we talk about the low-hanging fruits or, or something that can be done in all or different uh, ages of, of mills, it's automation that can be utilized. And there, one thing is the cooperation of, of humans and automation is one mm. of the things. Uh, when we're talking about fully automized mills, like the new bioproduct mills that we, for example, have, uh, those are so automized that not even there we have those low-hanging fruits. But then when we're talking about some of the mills where where like um, there are many different type of, of equipment groups and then humans are working between these groups, then you would need to have very tight human-machine interaction and you're ta- starting to talk about tacit information. So that, I think, it's something that is unexplored currently. Mm. It's only not data, it's also to kind of get some of the, the information that the people have gained during their uh, years of working, because some of the problems come only once a year. So, uh, But then when you have many meals and if you have capability of collecting this these experiences, then you start to get this kind of uh, set of data that you can start teaching some machine learning algorithm or the machines themselves. And th- that way, um, but that's not easy task. It's not easy even for Valmet. It's it's not easy for for uh, any any of us uh, producers either. But this is something that where we need very, very tight cooperation. Well, I'm going to ha- give you a collaboration challenge right now. I'd like you to tell us, 10 years down the line, what does a pulp and paper mill look like? What kind of new technologies are we going to have in this mill 10 years from now? And also, what are the technologies that will continue, that we already have today, that will still be there, you think, in 10 years? So what will change and what also will not change? I would say that the the key parts will be almost the same. So I don't expect that this kind of a really fundamental basics of the process would actually change. Where I do think is, is then mostly happening development, is especially in this drying heat recovery part, where you obviously need to reduce the needed energy. And then the other angle is definitely this is possibility to utilize biomass. So, so I don't think we are anymore seeing at that time mills where you can totally rely on fossil energy. So at that point, not only we two companies, but most companies globally would have need to find some other solution. Hmm. I think from what I think will happen is that these bioproduct mills or these integrates will be uh, developing into something that there are very many different products produced, bio-based products. And when I look at it from the energy point of view, it means that a lot of the biomass is removed from the energy balances. And this is something that our like the energy teams uh, within the industry need to figure out how to manage this one. And And I think this is a very good development because it drives to energy efficiency. Uh, and I think there is work to be done there. You said that the number was about 10%. I would say that we would need to have it even more. I'm not saying that it's easy, but we need to have it more than 10% because that will be removed from the energy balance. Uh, and then, of course, we'll have all these new products that I have no idea what what, what are <laughs> there. 
but since sustainability is, is the driving force, we are trying to get also the, the raw materials, non-fossil raw materials, then biomass is the solution. Mm. And and the wood-based biomass is one of the solutions. And, and there will be so many new products there as well. Very exciting. Janne, you wanted to add to this. Yeah, where well, I'm definitely seeing some development taking place is then the businesses that these companies are running. So there will be a definitely a lot of recycling-related business opportunities. And, and altogether, this kind of a waste management needs to be on a different level. So you can't really have waste anymore. You need to reuse it or or anyway find some value for that other than landfilling or, or something like that. So... I think this will open a lot of new adjacent business opportunities and also make the industry more more kind of a, how would I say, having broader scope on the business than, than what may be today. Very exciting. Thank you for that vision of the future of the mill in your industry. Um, you know, new ideas require new investments and both your companies have invested significantly in, in new technologies. Uh, and, you know, When we talked about this earlier, in, mo- in most cases, you know, more sustainable choices come with a higher price. Now, how does this impact the adoption of new technologies in, in your industry? Well, I could say that this is a bit like a two-sided story. So even though we have a really, really tough kind of environmental, uh, let's say, laws and regulations, if not yet today, but they are at least coming, But most of the solutions are anyway not simply built on on tackling these environmental challenges, but they are also cost efficient. And in 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 many of the cases, I would say that that they are even providing kind of a better ways of operating the mills than than, than in the past. Cheaper ways, even. Yeah. So in that respect, it's of course an investment and cost. But I wouldn't say that this is like an investment only needed for the for the environmental point of view. Mm. And uh, what maybe then, of course, is huge investment is that there is a lot of kind of old mills, old production places where they really need to consider whether it makes sense to update those to the modern needs or is it then something that that maybe kind of consolidate the production or move that to somewhere else. So mm-hmm. so those investments will be, of course, big. But but from the technology point of view, I would say that that At least we try to argue that whatever equipment we do, it's in in all of the cases, it's more efficient than the earlier ones. So there will be also this kind of operational benefits of, of moving towards new era. Win-win technologies. Exactly. Yes, yeah. yes I, I do agree on this one. And and I think we in Europe, we are a testing ground for very um, efficient technologies I'm not saying that this is not sold in other parts of the the world, but but the legislation is here the toughest, and it's it's becoming uh, climate wise, it's getting more and more tough. Um, but otherwise, I totally agree with with Janne that there is a the fleet of mills is something uh, that there is bases from a uh, hundred years back, uh, and then you have brand new mills, and all of this needs to work. Of course, the companies are doing strategies on kind of what type of meals they are running, etc. But also there are many very different products that you produce at different meals. But in any case, I think it's worth investing in in also the old meals because you you'll get more efficient uh, production. And of course, that's profitable business to, to do. 
to close our podcast, I've asked you both to bring a picture or a prop to the studio that symbolizes the future of the industry, you know, your vision for 2040 and beyond and how all of this is going to have an impact on the world. Could you tell us what picture you brought in? Don't explain it yet. Just describe the picture you brought. Pirita, what picture did you bring? Well, there is a picture of pine trees um, growing to the sky, to a clear uh, blue sky. Good. Could you, could you show it, please, to, uh, to Janne? Good. And what picture did you bring in? I have a picture here about the factory production site with chimneys up and, and winter scenery behind as well. Janne, I'd like you to look at Pirita's picture. And why do you think Pirita brought this picture with her to the studio today? Well, I think obviously Pine is, is really important raw material for the industry, so it's glad to see that they are growing tall in, in her picture. Then obviously winter, I think, kind of a, is a symbol that there is not that warm, so maybe the climate change has been tackled by that time, hopefully. So I think that uh, represents kind of pure nature and, and then the building on the strengths of the industry we work. Thank you for that guess. That, that, I, I thought that was good. What, what, is he even close, Pirita? He's close. There is also the personal. I'm, I'm really much a forest person. But otherwise, it was right to the spot. Wow, he can read your mind now. That's how good the collaboration is. Yeah. Between you. <laughs> you practically read your mind. But now, tell us, why do you think Janne brought this picture? There was a lot of same kind of... Um, elements that in my picture he's just probably a bit more engineer <laughs> and uh, because i think all in all uh, the future of sustainable world is based on on biomass based industry uh, and you can make a good solid technology production and you can also make profit So, and it's all allowed to make good and make money. Thank you, Pirita. Did she come close, Janne? Yeah, I would say so. So one of the meanings is that there is no smoke coming out from the chimney, so ah, representing the transformation. So that's it. But uh, time for the new, new industry. Wonderful. Pirita, Janne, thank you for your time today. Thank you very much. This has been a pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure also from my side.